Welcome to this edition of the Happy Manifesto podcast. And today we've got Matt Perris of Nearsoft, a self-managing organisation. I'm Henry Stewart. And I'm Maureen Egbe. And what's been joyful for you? Oh my gosh, this may not sound like it's a big thing, but it's a big thing to me, Henry. Is it? Is it? Tell us. It's big. Big, big, big. Big. I managed to fix a punctured tyre for my bike. <laughs> Excellent, Maureen. Excellent. Yes, yes. You know, since I was a little kid, when I had my first bike, I stopped riding my bike because I couldn't fix a puncture. Oh, really? Totally, totally. So, um, yes, I fixed that puncture. I found out where the hole was. I'd done the whole service, Henry. Whoa. I did. I had my brother watching over me who was just tutting as I was with glee of excitement <laughs> of how well I was doing. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> and what's been joyful for me is the Happy Check survey at Happy because we've uh, carried this out for 27 years and this was the highest score ever. Really? The previous best was August 2001, but we beat that. What were the scores, Henry? Do you know if I had... The overall score was 86.7%. But remember that we don't just go for good and excellent. We go for fantastic as the as the highest score. Because we do have fantastic people at Happy, I have we to say. We do indeed. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, one of the key, I think one of the key elements is has been the four-day week, because there were a lot of people that commented on that, because we've done the four-day week for a full year, and people are, are really, are really enjoying it, aren't they? Well, it's just amazing how quickly time goes. Absolutely. And of course, the point of the four day week is 180, 100, isn't it? Um, which is you get 100% of the salary for 80% of the hours as long as you are 100% as productive. Shall I just tell you some of the comments that people made about the four day? The best bit is having a day to do things for me, like activities, life admin and just chill time. I've never felt so consistently fresh and full of energy starting the week. Also, the freedom it gives me, both in terms of structuring my day and working times, but also getting chores owners done and without impacting the ability to switch off and enjoy the weekend. Or someone just wanted, just had, I have more time with my grand. Oh, it's lovely. That's what joy looks like. Yes. Anyway, what's been happy for you? Okay. So, um, oh yeah, just to share a thought or um, an idea. And I was just thinking um, about dreams, things that I would like to do and what the workplace allows me to do. Um, and that is fulfilling my personal development. And one of the things, it's just to share one of the things that we do at Happy and um, other other organisations do similar things. But at Happy, we prov- um, we're given development money, you know, so we're given money so that we can choose what it is that we want to do with it. And I have decided that I want to read more. So I am going to... <laughs> you know, take a, a membership, audible books. Oh, right. But the thing about it is, it's like, how do organisations help people develop themselves in areas that they want to be developed? And it doesn't necessarily have to be connected to their job, their role or the organisation. Exactly. Exactly. So w- which audible books are you going to buy? I don't know. The choice. The <laughs> choice. That's the thing. The choice. <laughs> so I'm going to be smart about it. I'm going to have something, one that is relaxing and then one that's around either confidence building and so on, because I'm I'm really keen about that area. OK, well, we'll hear from you later about those. OK. So now over to Matt Perez. 
Hi, Matt. It's so great to have you here on the podcast. So we'd like to get to know more about you. So can you tell us more about you, about the business that you're in, about Nearsoft? Sure. So uh, I'm an old man. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm ancient. And, um, but in 2007, when I was 55, I started a company called Nearsoft. And then soon thereafter, I found, oh, we found each other. My partner and I found each other. He had a small company in Mexico. I had a smaller company here in the U.S. And we merged in 2007. And the company was commanded from day one. I mean, there was no bosses. There was no hierarchy. None of that stuff. And it grew to about 300 people. When in 2017, we sold it to another company, which eventually became Encora. The whole premise of the company was, Okay, India's way over there on the other side of the world. People literally get up when we go to sleep and we get up when we go to sleep. Wouldn't it be better to have developers here in the same time zone? And Nearsoft was a, a co-managing organization. What, what does co-managing mean? So co-management is uh, more popularly known as uh, self-management. And the, and the main thing is that there's no, there's no hierarchy. There's nobody on top and nobody in the bottom. That's so fascinating because, as you said right at the beginning, at the start of the business, there were no bosses. So normally, I mean, at the moment, we're talking about self-management, but people are coming from management to self-management. And you started with that no hierarchy from the beginning. So what was the thought process? How did that come about? So first of all, the difference between co-management and self-management is that we realize that there's no self. The company doesn't manage itself. The company doesn't exist without the people in it. So what do we do? Oh, right now we're co-managing this space. You're not my boss. I'm not your boss. That kind of thing. We're co-managing the space. When she talks, I shut up. And when I talk, shut up. And, and like that. And we both all stop. You ask a question to motivate and say, I have worked in corporate all my life. And I knew the game of you know, getting ahead and pushing the other guy to the side and all this stuff. But I knew how useless that was and how how um, it just, it barely worked. And so I didn't want titles. I, I didn't, I was at 55, I guess I was old enough that I was tired of title. And um, my partner said a significant thing. He said, um, I want to build a company that works for everybody. And I said, that's it. That's what we want to do also. And so we started with that approach. And But, you know, we were like blind, poking in the dark. And then my son, uh, my older son, read a book by Ricardo Semler. Oh, yes. That's one of Henry's favorites. <laughs> and he said, you got to read this. And I said, yeah, yeah. He said, no, you got to read this. Okay, and I started reading it and reading it and reading it and read it from beginning to end. But about ten pages into it, it didn't take long. I told my partner, "You got to read this." But he read it in one sitting, and next day he he size bloated and all the stuff, and said, "Wow, that's that was different. That was really different." 
And for listeners, that book is Maverick by Ricardo Semler. And I'd say it's the best business book ever written, apart from Matt's and mine. (laughs) (laughs) So do you still implement those learnings in the business today? Is there anything like... Okay, I make a distinction between business and company. And company, okay. So a business is an organization with one metric, money. So if you make more money, you're exciting growing business, you make less money, you're a bum. Company comes from the Latin co-pan, pan being bread and co meaning together. And um, these are people who broke bread together. But I thought that company spoke more to what I wanted to say, which was people working together, co-management, co-company, stuff like that. So to answer your question, we did apply to the business. This gave more of a, a structure some things we didn't do, we didn't follow the um, the thing you did about salaries. That was a big mistake, but we didn't do it. But most everything else we did. The infinitifications, which in Mexico you have to have two weeks vacation if you have certain seniority and three weeks vacation if you have certain seniority. But the whole idea is that people could take time off and they would know when to take time off. And... Uh, I mean, people went to work from their houses or went to work from their their parents' houses. Mexico is more of a family-oriented thing, and the kids live with their parents until they get married. And so they're very attached to their families and their cousins and their friends and stuff like that. And we figured people would know better than anybody where to go work rather than us say. Having said that, we had very nice offers just south of uh, Arizona. And so one of the things that we did there is we had a kitchen. And my partner did that on his own. I, I was very detached from the building. And um, he said, no, that way you have to go down and do things together. And I thought that was brilliant. And again, in Mexico, it's very common to make foods for one another. So people bring all the groceries and cook there. And anybody will come in and, and go... Hey, you want some tamales or whatever? Yeah, 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 I'll have some. Well, there's a little bit left and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And they feed you. And that was very good at, at getting people that normally wouldn't talk or, or get together or whatever to bring them together. And uh, we have lots of marriages and people dating and, and stuff like that. So tell us about some of the details. So you didn't have bosses, but you had leadership team. No, leadership team is... Basically, uh, I want to change something. I noticed that there are three glasses broken in the door. And again, the heat does funny things to glass. And it hasn't been fixed for a week. And I'm, I want it fixed. So I announced in, in, over email that I'm going to have a relationship to fix the window. And people respond and say, yeah, I want to be part of that or whatever. Another one that we had that was very significant is we had money distribution at the end of the year. So we took a certain percentage to next year. And that was that was a decision that we make, my partner and I. But the rest was to share it. And my partner had a very complex formula. It's just that's a kind way word to say. And it got to the point where nobody understood it. Then this guy announced to the world that he, he wanted to understand the formula. And uh, he announced it to the world and he shows up, I think, about nine people in the end. So from that point on, it's a group thing. And so they first came to me and said, hey, what do you think? Can we do that? And, and 
the thing that I learned by then was to ask, are you asking for permission or are you asking for an opinion? If you're asking for permission, the, the word is no. No, you can't do it. Whatever it is, you can't do it. Now, if you're asking for my opinion, I think you should talk to the people that get affected by this. Eventually, they came up with something that people could understand. A few people didn't buy into it. But again, it's consent. It's that consensus. We don't all have to agree. We have to agree at least to try it out and live with it. So how do you get to that point? Because if you have a few people who disagree, how do you get to that point to know what you're going to do? What is the solution? So, so the whole process is based on this. Your mouth and your ears. You have a conversation and you explain what you're going to do. And they say, no, because my mother and my dog and my sister, you know, they get their anxieties out. And then they say, no, because I, I spent six years in school and you didn't and blah, blah, blah. Okay. So can you live with the word we're going to do it? Yeah. So anybody can stand up and say, I want to create a leadership team. Anybody can identify a problem, announce it in email, I'm going to solve it. The usual thing is, the way this guy did it was, I don't understand the whole bonus thing, and I want to understand it. And then people said, oh, I want to, I don't understand it either. I want to join you. And it was too many people. It was a bunch of people. So that tells you that the problem was widespread. It wasn't one or two people that were unhappy. It was widespread, but it couldn't handle everybody. So he came to me and said, how many people should I have? I go, are you asking for permission? And they said, look, I don't know how to handle more than 60 people, but whatever worked for you. So he ended up with nine. And that was it. From that point on, he's not the leader. He's not the boss. He's the guy that brought everybody together. And people voice their opinions and they come with, with ideas. And so they came up with these solutions. And eventually, one of the guys told me afterwards, yeah, the simpler we made it, the easier it got. They came very, with a very simple solution. Divide by N. So it's just $100 and 100 people. Everybody gets a dollar. That's it. As simple as it gets. Now, money money's a funny thing, and, and people have issues with it and stuff like that. But most people would say, yeah, we can live with that for a couple of years. Because it was so simple, you could trust it. So that's the most significant decision that was made. But there were many others. And I mean, from trivial to the very esoteric, you know, everything in between. At one point, they wanted to uh, bring in new games. We have a game room in one of the buildings, and they wanted uh, new games and stuff like that. And and there was a big argument. And and so they formed, in the game room, they formed a a game... Leadership team. (laughs) and, uh, And somebody else, not me, somebody else said, Oh, you have to announce that. Oh, nobody cares. You have to announce that. And so they announced that. Nobody cares. And, and that's what they made the decision by talking. And, and you get to talk and you get to say, you're, bring your demons out, so to speak. And it's very important to people. Yeah, normally we react to the demons and we learn to not react to the demons. That, that's the nice thing about a smaller team. It's very hard to call somebody an idiot when you're sitting across from you. So, so if you don't have bosses, you're co-managing workspace, how do you deal with poor performance? I don't. <laughs> the team does. So we do programming, mostly. And um, if somebody's not doing chickens, which is the way that you track 
what people are doing or doing too many check-ins. You have a conversation with them. And if they refuse to talk or, you know, they, they're just not part of the team or whatever, then not necessarily the whole team, but some of the people on the team have a conversation with them. Hey, what's wrong with you? How come you're doing so many? And oftentimes people are scared to ask. We're, both him and I are very good at saying, well, I don't know that. How do you do it? How, do, how does that work? How does that? And that's kind of pervaded the organizations, you know, where you can say it. And people ask all kinds of questions and Slack and stuff like that. But some people, particularly coming from the outside, are afraid of asking questions. And sometimes that, that conversation starts to break that. You know, they, they latch onto one or two, and but it starts to break that process of being afraid. And that's a question, you know, and we can solve the problem before you have to check it in, you know, a hundred times or whatever. If on the other hand, okay, I'll give you a case. There was a case of a guy early on before we had a lot of things in place that very much believed in a company, and Microsoft shall remain nameless here. And uh, if, if it wasn't Microsoft, it was Quirk. The first team got together, talked to him, and eventually said, you know what, we don't want you in the team. And he was out of the team. Now, he stayed in the company, and another team took him on. And uh, I grumbled, and, and, but it doesn't matter. Another team took him on. And about a, mo- a couple of months later, he was out. And then a third person took him on as an assistant or something because he was a smart guy. He was a very smart guy and very good at solving problems. But even he couldn't handle it. And at one point he said, no, you got to leave. And he told him, you got to leave the company. <laughs> so it's not the I fire you and you're gone and you get your shower and so on and go. It's a slower process. But I think it's a more fair process because not only... If he fails three times to join a team, he's got to realize, whether he realizes or not, he's failing at joining a team, not the smarts. is joining the team. But not only that, the group learns. Here's an example of somebody who can't join the team because it's got to be a learning thing for both parties. And so that was, that was one case. There have been opposites. There's been people that were bumped out of one team taken up by another team and done very well in there. I only fired one person early on, and it's because the team didn't dare tell them. And I didn't know how to tell them to tell them and all stuff. So I became the big man in the middle, and I woke up with this guy up and down the hallway. And when we came back, I told the finance people in front of them, I said, he's out. In Mexico, you have to liquidate people, not liquidate people. Mm. But, <laughs> you know, you have to give them a month for a year. It's a service for a meal. And we could hardly afford it at that time. And my partner said, no, no, because we can't afford it. I said, we can't afford to keep him here. The team doesn't want it, but they don't know how to push him out. So saying that, because everything, and I love the whole concept of company people together, everyone making the decisions, you know, and stepping up. What would be your advice to anybody that wanted to set the same values that your company has in terms of self-managing? And how would you encourage people to talk more and listen more? Get started and, you know, you can, there are books that you can read. There are people that you can uh, contact or whatever for support. But the thing is to get started. 
if you really believe a happier company and a better company by bringing everybody in, like getting everybody to speak. And that was hard, hard for me. I had been a boss for 30 plus years before that. So it was very hard not to give orders. Say, no. And somebody would tell me, hey, you're being an asshole and stuff like that. But I learned over time to not say no, but say, well, maybe not, <laughs> but it's still hard. So if you believe that you can make a better company that way, get started. You're going to make mistakes, guaranteed, but get started. And there's no formula that applies from what we did to what somebody else would do. There are gu- guidelines that I can give you. And like I said, Maverick to this day is a very good book in terms of guidelines. Um, Your book is also good. Matt, Radical Companies is, is Matt's book. And one thing I particularly like about, uh, I love the quote, don't let an obsession with arbitrary financial targets take precedence over people's joy. And not joy like, let's have a party joy, but it's the feel-good kind of joy. It's the, it's the ability to, to make your own decisions and stuff like that. It's the ability to, to speak to anybody in the company about anything. And not being your cubicle, you're a cog in the machine. If you try to get out of there, we're having you back into it. No, I, I mean, there are people that have been programmers and ended up in people development. And people have gravitated to different places. Because they've spoken up. There are people that I bet want to gravitate to other places and don't dare say it. So the system that we live in today, we're fishing water. Okay. And we don't see it. We don't see it. So we, you know, water, what the heck is that? It's, we go off, we go down, we go sideways, we breathe. Yeah. But that's water. No, 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 no. Don't, don't go grab that shirt. No, no. I, we live in a system like that. And we call it fiat, meaning because I say so. Okay, you guys send perceptions. Why? Because I say so. And a lot of people try to change aspects of their system. You know, the, the climate change is one thing, the, the, the women's thing is another thing. And, you know, it gets better. There's been progress. It's not, not the 18th century anymore, but it's still the system. It's still somebody at the top and somebody at the bottom. Very few people at the top. Lots of people at the bottom. Lots of people at the bottom. So we've got to come to a close now. But what I generally ask is your three top tips for creating a happy workplace. But I think you've got a different take on that, haven't you? Yeah. Happiness to me, like I said, it's not a party and let's all smile and stuff like that. It's more of of having that space to be more yourself. And it's, it's not an infinite space. It's limited by what the other people, the other people's spaces and stuff like that. But when you find an area of common ground between me and, and Maureen, for example, we figure out that if there are differences, we figure out differences that are common knowledge. It's a lot easier for people face-to-face to resolve those issues and to have that conversation. Matt, that's been brilliant. Yeah, been great. And as, as we say, his book is Radical Companies. Check it out wherever you find your books. Thank you very much. Thank you. When I think about the whole culture of it all, it's about company. You know, when you made that distinction between business and company, that is about everybody, company coming together, that importance that everybody had a voice and were part of the company. Absolutely. And this whole co-managing thing, um, the idea, as you said, you don't have bosses. And it sounds like that the decisions are made by the leadership teams. And that's, and that's the company. <laughs> 
That's everybody. That's everybody. So you can just set, step up and say, I want to, you know, do something about this and uh, just make it happen. Make it happen. That's it. Cause he has no rules. Yeah. So I'm still getting my head around that. But the only way to, as he said, to make to see whether it can work is just by doing it because there is no script. And of course, consent rather than consensus. Which is it is a big thing in the if self managing organisations, but um that that whole idea that you don't need everyone's consensus, you just need to make sure they give consent. Yes. So yeah, right. Well, first of all, um, he spoke about Ricardo, and I know that you love that book. Oh, I do. I love Maverick. All right. So go check out the books. Check out our other episodes on the Happy Manifesto. And if you want to leave a comment, please do so on your, whether you use Spotify or whatever podcast platform you use, leave a comment and let us know what you think. And I think, what's the strap line, Henry? Great, enjoy at work. Let's keep on doing it. <laughs>